Good morning, church. Happy New Year. Let's stand. We thank the Lord for all that he has done and all that he is doing and all that he will do. Thank the Lord for a beautiful Sunday in his house where we will take communion together. We just worship him together this morning. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, that you are always faithful, always true, that you do not withhold from those who walk in your ways, Lord Father God. So we ask you to help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in the fullness of what you have already saved us from, Lord Father God, that you have saved us into strength, into authority, into power by the blood of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord Father God, help us to live this life for you, Father God and all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Like that. 
guess what? You do not have control. And just like Moses and the Israelites going through the desert, the cloud would lift. It was time to go. And when they started off, this is what scripture said. Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered. And let those who hate you flee before you. Every time they set up to say, it's time to move. The cloud is moving. The presence of God is leading us. I'm going to tell you it's the same today. The presence of God needs to lead you. But let me say this. When you move with the presence of God in your 2024, you can declare this. Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. In other words, as I step out, the enemies are scattered. The enemies are scattered. The enemies are scattered. Okay, I know some of you are decaffeinating right now. Do you know how powerful that is for your life here, 2024? Or don't believe don't believe and guess what you'll get the product of unbelief or believe and get the product of belief listen 
percent already had one week it felt like a year have you ever had a week that felt like a year <laughs> already started like really 2023 was hard 2024 already and let me say <laughs> you know what let your enemies be scattered you know what I said, you know what, enemy? You're trying to show your face already because you're afraid of what's going to happen through my surrender to the Lord, my submission to the Lord. Listen, are you ready to move with the Spirit of God in your life in 2024? Are you ready for that? Because He has promised you that your enemies would be scattered so you don't have to walk in fear foreboding thinking wondering saying well what if this happens what if, what if it does what if it does guess what your enemies will be scattered and maybe God wants to glorify himself through the battle to show forth that he is able your expectation for 2024 for your life are you just going to try to get through it are you going to fly under the radar are you just going to play defense rather than offense you don't win the game merely by defense you got to take the ball and go into enemy territory and you've got to do it with boldness and you've got to do it with intention
But you know what? We're going to go into the territory. We're going to take back what the enemy has stolen. We're going to believe God for, for the things that we have seen year after year not have victory. We're going to say, Lord, this year, this year is going to be the year of victory. This year is going to be the year of the overflow. But I know, Lord, it begins in me. Doesn't begin externally, it begins internally. So right now, Holy Spirit, right now, let's just we're we're gonna launch this Sunday. We're gonna launch this Sunday into this year. Fearless. We're gonna launch this Sunday full of faith, not in ourselves, but in you, in you and what your power, what your Holy Spirit presence can do through us, Lord. We're going to launch this year, Lord, expecting great things, not fearing the battle, not fearing the battle, but saying, you know, we are overcomers. We're already overcomers. Before we even get to the place where we have to overcome, we're already overcomers by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. So we declare it, we decree it in your name. Amen.
everybody that calls this crossroads their home is doing some level of a fast fasting something during this next 21 days I'm going to read to you a story and then I'm going to show you why our fast is important it's found in Matthew 17 20 it's also in Mark chapter 9 but I want you to turn to 17 20 if you have your Bibles Verse 14, when they, when they approached the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, kneeling before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and suffers terribly, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they were not able to heal him. I brought him to your disciples. And they were not able to heal him. I'm just going to stop there. Because Jesus intervenes in this situation. But Jesus wants disciples full of his power. Same God. Same God. 2024, same God, he wants his followers, his children, full of his power. He wants this. This is not a maybe so, maybe not. He desires this for his children to manifest same God power. Same God power. Now, the problem that we're facing in our culture and many places in the world that the power out there appears to be greater than the power in here. Why? Because your disciples were not able to heal him. I want, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start challenge you guys, 2024, boot camp, baby. Boot camp. Because your disciples were not able to heal them. Now, Jesus doesn't go, oh, that's okay. They're just learning. He doesn't say that because they have gone through many things with Jesus at this point. They have seen miraculous things. Actually, this story just comes on the tales of the transfiguration. So they've seen some powerful things. Do you want, you know what, I didn't even write this down. This is Revelation right now. Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus that whatever you face, the power of God not only matches it, but trumps it? Do you? I'm saying, then therefore, 
We've got to give everything we are to him. This holding back thing, this kind of uh, half in, half out, is not working. And it's not going to work moving forward. It's not. Because the message that is sent is the power of the enemy, the power that was holding this child captive in this scripture is greater than Jesus' power. That was the message. But Jesus says, verse 17, and Jesus answered, you unbelieving, see this is how frustrated Jesus was. You unbelieving and perverted generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? In other words, by now, you should know. Say, Pastor Lynn, where's the, the, the gentle parenting going on? We need gentle parenting. <laughs> you get gentle parenting. But sometimes, if you're mature and you know better, like the disciples did, you need to be confronted. Why is it that your, there's not the power that Jesus told them he had given to them? Remember, he had already sent them out to heal in his name, to cast. He had already done that. So it's not like this was their first assignment. How many of you, okay, you know, well, no, she's going to, she's, she's not talking theoretically anymore. <laughs> How many of you have been a Christian longer than a year? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have been a Christian longer than five years? Raise your hand. Oh, we got a lot. Of, we got a lot. How many of you have been a Christian longer than 10 years? Raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> How about 15? How about 20? We got a lot of people in this house that you've heard the word. You've seen the word. You've seen miracles. I've told you miracles. This church has done miracles. We've believed. I, sometimes I sit and say, this church is way too small for the assignment, Lord. And the Lord says, haven't you had victory with every battle? And I say, yes, Lord, I have. Then don't tell me what. Go back to the word. And Jesus answered, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and asked, why could we not drive it out? And this is what Jesus said. It's okay, you're having a bad day. I know that you're not on caffeine. No, they didn't say that. He said... Because of your little faith. And I decided today, because I've been taking my smaller Bible to church, but I decided to bring my big, fat, amplified one. And it says it this way. He answered, because of your little faith, your lack of trust and confidence in the power of God. For I assure you, 
and most solemnly say to you, if you have living faith the size of a mustard seed, in the Amplified it says living faith, the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And if it is God's will, it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind of demon does not go out except by prayer and fasting. You finally got back to fasting. Yes. We want to be, I want to be, I know you want to be, because you would go to another church if you didn't. Churches with shorter services. Churches with not a female pastor. Churches that, whatever, you have options in this land. But you're here because you want more. Or you wouldn't be here because this is a house of more. This is a house of saying we want to be people of power. We want to be people who see lives transformed, including our own. We want to be people that when we pray, things happen. When we touch people, things happen. When we believe God, things happen. That's why we're here. That's why God is We are a remnant of a people that say, you know what? We're willing, Lord, for whatever transformation is needed to be people of power in 2024 so that when the boy filled with the demon comes to us, that that demon leaves in the name of Jesus because we have spent time with Jesus. Listen, the last part of that portion of scripture is important because Jesus says to them this comes out (laughs) this comes out by prayer and fasting what is he indicating you weren't praying and fasting so therefore you guys were kind of on uh, easy street you were like I want it to be easy some of these things only come out by prayer and fasting, and you need to be ready. Fast forward to right now, fasting, our fast. I want you to take out one of those envelopes in front of you and get a pen. No, I'm not going to make you put a dollar in it or something like that. <laughs> Yet, we're going to, I want you right now. For this next 21-day period, I want you to ask the Lord, what is this fast all about? Because it's not about the food, and don't you make it about the food. It's not about, oh, I can't eat this, can't eat that. If you make it about that, you're putting your eyes actually on the flesh. I want you to ask the Lord, what is this fast all about? What I don't want you to put in there, because this is not the place to start, with an external. I want to see, this is what I mean by an external. I want to see a breakthrough in my lives of my children. That's an external. I want you to begin with an internal. That means how are you to change? What are you you asking God to change in you during this time of fasting? What do you want God to do in you? The depth 
of his work in you. Because Jesus wants you to have his character, his mind. And too many Christians think that they need to help people with big sins around them. Pastor Lynn, this person struggles with that. Look at the world. They struggle. You know what? Go deep in you so that you're like Christ. Because in going deep, there's an excavation where you are truly changed. What needs to be removed in you so that there's more Jesus character in you? What ways do, are you limited in your love? What are your attitudes like? What are your actions like? What are your relationships like? What are your priorities like? What are your values like? What are the choices that you're making? Are they in alignment with God? Are they in alignment with the Word? Are they in alignment with submission to the Holy Spirit? Listen. We don't want something fleeting. I don't want the fast to be fleeting. I want it to be transforming. To say, Lord, in me, this needs to be changed. And I submit to you during these 21 days, I submit to you this area of my life. We need to be built up in Christian character. Too much performance too much external performance and not enough deep Christian character because at any moment the demon, the, the demon possessed child can come to you. I'm telling you, if you're not ready because you have the likeness of Christ in you, you will not have the power. That's the problem. Too many people visiting power, wanting in the moment to have something they don't have because they haven't spent time with the Lord. I want to spend time doing everything else. So much wasted time. And then we lack power. So what does the Lord want to do in you? How does he want to build you up to say, I want you to love unconditionally? How about selfishness? Is there areas of selfishness in you? Where you don't like to be interrupted. You don't want any intrusion in your life. You don't want to give. You're looking for happiness all the time. Happiness. Which actually means that the things around me are the way I want them to be. That's what happiness means. And there's this idol that we can have inside of us of saying, Lord, I pray for convenience. I pray for, make it easy on me. Do these things, make me happy rather than saying, transform me, prepare me, interrupt me so that I am ready, Lord. Amen. The idols inside of us. What idol do we sometimes harbor? Maybe we take down every once in a while. Oh, I can say something. I'm not going to say it, Lord, because I am going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. But what kind of idols do we say we're taking down in the moment, in covenant relationship with God, and then we put it right back up again? Because the truth is, we never got rid of it. We just hid it. Come on. I'm sorry, Pastor David. It's your day to preach. Okay. Self-pity. 
Self-pity. Do you struggle with self-pity? Are you a victimized person? You know what? God hates self-pity. He hates it. We same God. I like the victorious part of this song. What about the fact that God hates self-pity? If you read in the book of Numbers, the story tells us that Israel's unhappy because they don't have meat. They have self-pity. Poor us. We don't have this. We don't have that. And God gets angry. So he says, guess what? You're going to have so much meat, it's going to come out of your nostrils. That's what the scripture says. Because you are rebelling against my way and you are choosing self-pity. Self-pity is very dangerous because it's actually in scripture. If you read Numbers chapter 11, you will find that it's connected to greed. See, in their self-pity, they sought to fill themselves with the flesh. Self-pity is a deception from the enemy, and it generally is rooted out of some pain or some victimized experiences that we had that have not yet been given to the Lord for healing. Self-pity. How about some thoughts? Transformed mind. What are you feeding with your thoughts? What are you putting in during the week in your thought life? And you want to know God's good and perfect and pleasing will, but your mind is not transformed. Maybe there needs to be some things that need to be changed, breaking off certain kinds of agreements, going into the secret place with God. You know what? You've got to, the, the transform minds about new pathways in your thought life to say, I will no longer think this way. I will think this way as a result. I'm no longer going to have a critical spirit. I'm no longer going to have a a uh, tear down other people's spirit. I'm no longer going to have a complaining spirit. I'm no longer going to have a doubt-filled spirit. I'm no longer going to have a fearful spirit, an anxious spirit, an angry spirit. Okay, I'm, I'm giving you some good examples to put on your paper. Or it may be totally something else. But it needs to be something that says, Lord... I know that I default to this. I know that I default. Fill into the blank. We're all unique. We all have a unique relationship with God. We're all in process. But the Lord says identify because that's what you're going to go after. And when you go after that with the Holy Spirit during these 21 years. 21 years. It's going to feel like 21 years (laughs) for some of us. 21 days. That's funny very funny 21 days I want you to emerge on the 28th of January in victory Lord you have touched this area of my life and as a result I am empowered by you as a result now I have more power in my life because that domain now belongs to you it has been surrendered It has been submitted. I have tore down any idolatry or any agreements that have been not pleasing to you in that area. And I have submitted to you. You're going to come out. And then externals are going to happen. All right. 
Let's stand up. You've had plenty of time to write. What are you going to do with this sheet? You're going to remember what it says. But as they're singing, saying, God, I want you to come down and I want you to put it on the altar before the Lord. Come on down. You heard your children yeah. then. You hear your children now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You answered prayers back then. And you will answer now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You are providing then. You are providing now. You watching you all come down and put these at the altar I saw old gray-haired people and I saw young people saw 
married with children, young families, saw families that have grown children, saw those who are singles. But I want to say to every one of you, as you say, I believe God, you are enlarging the territory in me. See, this is what enlarge. You think it's that? No, this is what enlarged territory is. This is where it begins. Then you see the physical results. It begins in you. It begins understanding as God works his character in you, you have the mind of Christ so that you say nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. So when it comes to my plate, my response isn't, oh no. It's rather nothing is impossible with God. And guess what, Lord? You're going to show me how to bring whatever the assignment that you have given to me to pass. This is your enlargement of territory. It begins here. We're going to pray. Lord, we bungee jump into your arms, into the depths of who you are, that you are going to teach us, you will transform us, you will confront us so that there is transformation only for our good so that more of you more of your power more of your presence is in our lives so that as we move forward in 2024 truly we can declare what Moses declared let the enemies be scattered Arise, oh God. Let your enemies be scattered. And we thank you, Lord, because we go in believing your word in your name. Amen. Greet one another. Greet with one another. Tell them you're glad they're here. you're here on this beautiful day. We're so glad. I want to welcome you if you're a visitor here for the first time, second time, third time. If you haven't filled out a visitor card, we would like to know more about you. Your information is not given to anyone. You don't have to worry about us giving it out, but it's for us. We would like to uh, 
have put you on our e-newsletter so that you know what's going on. It has all of our life groups, it has all of our events that are going on. For those of you that may be new or have been gone, today is our first day of our 21-day Daniel fast. Yes. And we go in with joy into this fast because Lord always does incredible things during the month of January. And I want to encourage you to be a part of this. Even if you're just kind of coming in on late on it, come and be a part of this. What we do is we fast during this time. It's a Daniel fast. It's like a vegan fast. There's booklets out in the lobby if you are interested in picking up or picking one up or the, it's under resources on our site. You can see what the Daniel fast is all about. But we culminate it with the Thirst Conference. I Thirst for You Holy Spirit Conference. And I'm telling you, it's going to be a powerful time. The Lord is already speaking to me. I mean, I can't wait, I, I, I can't wait to get there. There's going to be such a, a powerful word, a powerful presence of God. Um, on January 26th, it begins Friday night, 7 o'clock, goes through Saturday afternoon, um, the next day. And then on the 28th, we will have a service, Sunday service here. We want those who are part of the, the conference to be here as well because our guests uh, from India, Nitin and Blessy, will be sharing during the Sunday morning service as well as the Teen Challenge Choir. And then we're going to have an international banquet um, afterwards where we all bring our food and we get to break our fast together and celebrate because the Lord is all about celebration too. But during that um, Sunday, the 28th, we will not be recording. We're not recording it. We won't be online due to the sensitivity of the information that's going to go forth. So just let you know that. This Thursday evening, we begin our Holy Spirit baptism retreat. And there's 33 of us going to the retreat. Please keep us in your prayers. Those of you that are going to the retreat, please do your homework. Remember the email I sent you? If you didn't get it, email me because I'll send it to you again. But there's a little homework involved in it. But please keep us in your prayers. It's a dynamic, powerful time. Amen. Um, Pastor David, do you want to know who's read through the Bible 2023 or who's planning on reading? Right. If you have read through the Bible... In 2023, let Pastor David know, and he will give you a certificate. And there's, and there's new reading plans as well in the lobby. Got it. Now, our prayer partners of the week are Living Hope Rescue Center in Nepal. I don't know if you get, if you get the Women of the World newsletter. I, I expanded upon this, but we have a rescue center in Nepal, and we've rescued over 20 uh, typically young ladies, not only, uh, from trafficking. And so keep this ministry in your prayer, the Living Hope Rescue Center in Nepal. It's a powerful um, ministry to set captives free. And once again, pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit retreat. I want to share with you something miraculous that happened. And it has to do with our country, our country of Bangladesh. We have partners there. And this little lady... We met last time we visited our friends there. And she is a pastor among the Muslim community. And she didn't have a church building. And we met with her and um, 
Anyway, long story short, you all came through to raise money to purchase property and to build a building. But we had a lot of problems with this, and I need to be careful what I say, but we had a lot of problems with this happening, and we thought even until this week that it wasn't going to happen, that the doors had kept being shut by local uh, people. And so then we get this email with pictures of a, a property that's been purchased, a church that's been built, and the little lady, Pastor Selena, standing in front of it. She actually has two congregations, all proud of her building. And so God brought this through to completion as he is faithful. Once again, it was a miracle, particularly in the midst of the climate of the world right now. And so here's another miracle that God has done using crossroads. I'm going to tell you, if that's not the reason to live, I don't know what the reason is. Because in doing that, people are being reached for Jesus. In doing that, people are being set free. In doing that, people are being healed. In doing that, people are being delivered. In doing that, the gospel will go from generation to generation to generation to break off curses off a nation. That's what that means. It's not just about a little cute church. It's about power going forth into a region. What the enemy tried to shut down, the Lord says, listen, my yes is more powerful than the enemy's no. It's time to give our tithes and offerings. Ushers, please come forward. Lord, we thank you, Father. You are miraculous. You deserve all the glory and praise. You are wondrous. Lord, we love you. Lord, we give our tithes and offerings to you out of worship, out of thanksgiving, that we get to partner with you. We thank you in your name. Amen. God bless you as you give. You free the captives then. You're freeing hearts right now. same God that healed the leper can heal you? Do you believe he's the same God that touched the blind eyes can open your eyes? You know, one cool thing about the Lord is that he never changes. We change constantly, right? But he is consistent. He is always consistent. That's so great. Well, Happy New Year. If I haven't seen you since last year, how'd you like the cold weather we brought in for today? Yeah, get up. It was 34 degrees driving in. Whoa, that'll put some frost on the pumpkin, won't it? Hey, we're glad you're here this morning. We're, uh, we're uh, beginning a good time. It's always, I always love the Daniel Fast. It's a great time. And let me just give a, a public announcement for any of you that are struggling on what you want to eat. Safeway Knob Hill has vegan sections. Go there. You can get all kind of good stuff. You don't have to worry about stressing out about 
preparing stuff, okay? Uh, but it's going to be a great year. God's going to do some great things in our life, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what God's going to do. And this morning, I want to talk to you. It's funny because we're going through this series on, 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 on things to get in the way to our faith. And last, I guess it was last Sunday afternoon, uh, we're sitting in our house. How many of you are married? You, you know, you, you banter back and forth with one another, okay? Any of you have good friends that like to bust your chops all the time, you know? Well, I, I said to my wife, I said, she goes, well, do you know what you're speaking on Sunday? I said, yeah, I'm going to speak on pride and arrogance. She goes, wow, that's great. You should have a ton of personal experiences. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it would come easy for me. There you go. But, you know, you got the message, you know. One thing about, about being a believer is you can't take yourself too seriously, you know. And the problem that we have is, you know, in talking about pride, it's, it, pride is one of the things God really despises. And he, he really hates. And, and actually, you know, if you would ask someone, are you prideful? You know, we had one person say yes, <laughs> you know. But, you know, most of us don't think we have pride. But we all have pride in certain things. You know, it's, it's amazing how, you know, you, know, you could live in, a, uh, in a, a Christian bubble and you could have pride in that. You could have pride in, like, I mean, car, your car you have. You could have pride in the, the business you own. You could have pride in a football team. You could have a pride in what possessions you have, your salary you make. It's all of these things that, you know, we, we put pride in. You know, I was thinking about us. I was thinking about even, like, you know, people get in fights over sporting teams yeah. and, and put people in hospitals for the team they like. Assault and battery or attempted murder because you, your team lost, you know? Uh, it's crazy what people have such pride in. And the challenge that we live in is we live in a world that tells you you should constantly be boistering and building yourself up, that you should be prideful, you should be arrogant. And, and, but if you look at, at Scripture, one of the things that Scripture says, Scripture tells us that pride is one of the first sins that we've seen, and it's still a problem today. I mean, why do we have wars? Why do we have conflicts? Why do we have people that, that are fighting? Why do we have all these uh, lawsuits? It's, a lot of times it's pride. If someone doesn't want to be taken advantage of. And so when I was thinking about that, I thought about how as believers, we are in the world, but we're not to love the world. Right. And we're not to love the philosophies of the world. And it's, it's interesting because in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, John writes these words, and they're really interesting to look at. He says these things. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Okay? So if you're, if you're allowing the world around you to tell you how you should live your life, you're not allowing the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And the Lord wants to speak to us. I don't care if you've been a, a believer for a day or if you've been a believer for 21 years like our fast is going to be, right? Uh, it doesn't matter. God wants to speak to you on a personal level, and he wants to communicate with you. And he says this, he says, for everything of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of the Lord lives forever. My desire, our desire as a church, is that you would be the strongest believer that you could possibly be. 
Our role is not to coddle you. Our role is to empower you. Our role is to equip you. The, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that the work of the fivefold ministry is to build up the believers for works of service. That's what we're, we're doing. And a lot of times when you're, you're, you know, can I pick on you, Rick Lopez? Thank you. Um, Rick was telling me he was going to boot camp. He's going to exercise boot camp. And he told me the first day he came back, he says he was so sore. Now, Rick is not a scrawny guy. He's pretty yoked, right? Right, Teresa? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, when you get into something that you're, someone's pushing you to do greater things, there's always a level of discomfort. And part of that discomfort is the enemy doesn't want you to go deep in the things of the Lord. The enemy wants you to stay shallow. Because when you're shallow, you're not a threat. When you're not fasting and prayer, you, man, you, you can't cast anything out, you know? But when you're empowered with the things of the Spirit and you're listening to the voice of the Lord, you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, then you're a threat. So I want you to be a threat to the enemy. My desire is that you, like Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, that you do no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. How? By the Word of God. That God's Word transforms your mind. You know, it's interesting, from a psychological, neurochemical process, you can actually reprogram the pathways of your thinking. And, and as you do that, you transform your thought, which then transforms your actions. Do you know that when you actually start meditating on the Word of God, it changes your perspective? You know? About two years ago, I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you, you, your, your, your blood sugar is at a certain level. You've got to be very careful. I just ate two tins of David's snowball cookies. I don't know why my blood sugar was up, you know? It was like a week before the doctor's exam. I'm like, oh, you know? Found him at Costco. Worst place to go, you know? And so I changed my appetite, and I, I, I went pretty hardcore on cutting out sweets in my life. And all of a sudden, I take a, a drink of my wife's latte that she would have, and it would have a, a little flavoring in it. It's like, oh, this is so syrupy. Why? Because I've changed the pattern of my appetite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same thing is true in your thinking. And God wants to transform you by renewing your mind, because then you'll know, according to what Scripture says, you, you, you will know God's will, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that's our desire for you during this time, that you would grow into that. So how do we get to the issue of pride? Because sometimes the issue that we deal with as believers is when God or the Word of God challenges us to do something, we go, oh, you're talking to me. Who do you think you're talking to? You know? Pride comes in. How dare you tell me how to live my Christian life? How dare you tell me that I'm not growing like I should? How dare you? You know, my role as a pastor is not to pat you on the back. My role on the pa as a pastor is to give you a good swift kick in the bottom to keep you growing with Jesus. Now, if you need a, a, a little support, I'm, I'm willing to do that. But my, my desire, I want you to be strong so that you don't have to go, oh, you know, woe is me. So what does Scripture say about pride and, pride and arrogance? You know, just, just looking at the book of Proverbs, these are just four verses in the book of Proverbs. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. So when you're, how many of you ever seen those reels or those videos of the athlete that's going to the finish line? Maybe they're on a bike or they're running the race, and right before they get to the finish line, they're like, yeah, baby, and then all of a sudden someone runs by them. 
You know, that is a classic example of that Bible verse. You know, the football player running to the end zone, strutting his stuff, and then fumbles the ball, you know. That's, that's what it's talking about. Look at Proverbs 16, 5. The Lord detests all the pride of, uh, proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will go. What? They will not go. No, we say, no, they're not going to go. It says, no, they, don't worry. They will not go unpunished. Proverbs 18, 12. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, you know. Oh, man, I am so good. You know, do you ever do that? You're doing something really great, and all of a sudden, smack, you're, you walk into a wall, you know. I saw a video of a guy where he's walking across the street, and he's yelling at a guy in the car, and he walks right into a telephone pole. You know, telling the guy in the car, look where you're going, okay. Proverbs 21, this is an interesting one, verse 24. The proud and arrogant person, mocker is his name. Do you ever know someone that makes fun of you all the time? You know? Mocker is their name. They behave with insolent fury. That's not the way we want to be identified, is it? And, and, and see, there's an interesting thing when you're dealing with pride because there is such a thing as self-love. The Scripture says you should, you should have some love for yourself because if you don't respect yourself, you're not going to respect other people. But you don't love yourself so much that you're the center of the universe. I hate to tell you, none of us is the center of the universe. There is one that is the center of the universe, and his name is God. And we serve him. We serve him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So it's interesting when you look at this passage because uh, even within the Christian community, I don't know if you, you listen to other people's uh, uh, speaking, preachings, teachings. A lot of times they're, they're, they're infused with, with real arrogance, you know. My wife and I were watching a, a person. I won't mention their name, but we were watching a person this last week talking. And, and I was like, wow, that is just, he is so off, you know. And he was so arrogant and so condescending to people around him. And I thought, wow, that's not, that's not the, the Jesus that I read about in Scripture. And so when we're, we're really realizing this, when we come to this, one of the things we have to realize is that we live in a culture that prides itself in being proud. Do you hear me? We live in a, a, a you know, we have influencers now. We have people that are influencers. They don't do very much. They have you know, marketing companies behind them giving them stuff to share, but they don't do stuff, you know. Uh, what do they do, you know? And I was, I was reading as I was prepping for this, you know, I, I was preparing, and I, I look back, and in, in December 1st of last year, NBC News listed, this as a headline, Good Riddance to the Year of the Narcissist. That was for 2022. That was what NBC News thought of the year 2022, that it was a year of people being totally narcissistic. Now, what is a narcissist? If you don't know the story, it's from Greek mythology where a narcissist, when it looked at a beautiful man, looked at himself in the pool, he was so beautiful, he actually drowned in the pool, and there's a flower called the narcissist, you know, uh, you know we've all met people like that, right? So we thought that, that 2022 was the end of the year of narcissism, but Merriam-Webster said the word of the year, one of the words of the year they were considering to look at for 2023 is the word narcissism. So we haven't learned very much, have we? So one of the things we have to look at as believers is how do we live in that context? How do we live as, because we're not like going to all go up to the top of a mountain and, and live at a retreat center and never interact with people. We're going to deal with people every single day. We're going to deal with family members. We're going to deal with neighbors. We're going to deal with coworkers. How do we deal with it as a believer? And I, I believe the thing that we have to do is we have to look at 
a more sure foundation than what the world's giving us, and that's the Word of God. So if you look at Timothy, in, in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it's interesting because Paul is writing to his young protege. He's writing to the young pastor that's taking over one of his churches. And listen to what he says to him. This is really important. He says, but mark this. Okay, so Timothy, if you want to look, remember something, remember this. There will, be a there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient of their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Wow, it sounds like kind of where we're living today, doesn't it? You know, when you look at the world through the scriptural lens, that pretty much describes the culture we live in. So as believers, Paul was telling Timothy, now catch, catch this, this wasn't like a month ago. This was 2,000 years ago. And he's telling him, this is what the end time is going to look like. Are we in the end times? I don't know. But for some of us, it's the end times for us. All right? We don't know when we're going to go see the Lord. But this, this picture that Timothy's paint, or Paul's painting for Timothy is pretty real of where we're living today. And one of the things that we have to be really careful about is that, that when we're dealing with this, we have to realize that God despises. Actually, God doesn't despise. God hates pride. How do I know that? Look at Proverbs. Look at what Proverbs chapter uh, uh, 6, verse 16, 17, 18, and 19 says. These, these are seven things that God hates. Well, I thought God was love. Yeah, he, God is love, but he hates things that will destroy you as a person. And if there's things that we're involved in, engaged in, that are harmful to us, a loving parent would always stop you from doing that. You know, I remember when our, our children were little, our son Brandon was always tinkering with something, you know, and I came home from work one day and he had taken, because we were painting the house, he had taken the light switch off and used an entire roll of, a, of, of, of uh, scotch tape. And I came in the house and I went to flick the light switch on and I'm like, what in the world? And I look and there's like tape, like this much on the light switch. And he goes, daddy, I fixed the light. He was like there with a screwdriver. And I'm thinking... Brandon, you don't play with a screwdriver by electricity. You know, years later, you know, he saw what happens when his stupid father played with screwdrivers by electricity, you know. But, you know, he says that these are the things that God hates. Haughty eyes. What are haughty eyes? They're arrogant. <laughs> you think you know so much. I'm so much better than you. That's really what it's about. And he goes through, he talks of lying tongues, hands that shed innocent blood, all of these things. But the, if you look at the very first thing that he mentions, he mentions the, the, the aspect of the word haughty eyes. It's actually, the Hebrew word is the word rum, like Jamaican rum. Anyone been to Jamaica lately? <laughs> these guys just got back from Jamaica. They had a great experience. Talk to them. It was fun from what I hear. No power, cold, rain, just like island life, baby. You could have stayed here and hadn't saved the money, you know? Uh, but anyway, the word rum, not like that you're drinking the rum, but it's the Hebrew word rum, literally means this, to highly exalt oneself. So what you're looking at is like, oh, you ever met someone like that? You know, one of the, the, the things that frustrated me about working in academics for years was that the arrogance that people had because they understood such a narrow, thin slice of something. And they talked to everyone else like they were absolute idiots because they had a couple fancy letters behind their name. And the truth is, just because you're an expert in one area doesn't mean you're an expert in another area. And the truth is, as a believer, we should never have haughtiness or arrogance in our life. 
You know, so when you look through this, one of the things that is, is, is interesting is I believe pride is put first because it's really at the bottom of the, the, the barrel of, of, of things that God looks at as value because pride is all about arrogance against God. Pride is all about arrogance against other people. And when we're, if you're made in the image and likeness of God, is what Scripture says, and you're being haughty and arrogant to someone else, you're not reflecting a Christ-like attitude. And so God hates that. And what God wants to do is God, God wants to purge that from us. But yet the problem we live with, we live in a culture that is, has so uh, embellished the whole value of being arrogant and prideful. You know, you, 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 you lose a football game and the, the people go crazy because their team lost and they beat people up. You know, you see people throwing athletes that are supposed to be quote-unquote professionals throwing their helmets against the sidelines and screaming at people. You know, really, is that the kind of role model you want your children to follow? You know, all of these things are, you know, and what is it? It's, it's all about, I love me. I love myself. I love myself so much that I want to be the one. That's really when we think about what pride is. It's based in being a narcissist. It's, it's based in a, an attitude that I am better than everyone else. And what God says is that, you know, we need to live a life like he desires us to live, not a life like that we want to just put ourselves up to the front. You know, I think as, as parents, there is a good side and a, a negative side about teaching your kids about self-love and, and having a sense of pride. You want your kids to have enough pride to respect themselves, but you don't want them to be so proudful that they, they are arrogant and condescending to everyone else. You know, I, I, I think about it, it's, it's, uh, it's really important for us as parents, so those of you who still have children that are moldable and shapeable, is to teach them the value of who they are and know who they are in Christ and know the value that they have as a person, but not to be rude or arrogant to other people. You know, it's really important. You know, there's a, a really uh, interesting thing that happened is in Scripture. Um, we, we talk about having a value of self-love, right? We have a value of what self-love is. But really what Scripture says is this in Mark chapter 12. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then second, love your neighbors as yourself. You see, what we do as Christians is we, we take part of that chapter, that verse rather, and we say, well, we should love ourselves. No. You should be radically in love with God first. And then when you do that, he changes the way you interact with other people. He changes the way that you're, you view other people. And he says, as you do that, as you love God with all of who you are as a being, then you're able to love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because you know who you are in Christ. The problem is too many believers don't know who they are in Christ. And if you don't know who you are in Christ, what are you going to do? You're going to start feeding your own flesh. You're going to start saying, well, I'll do it on myself. If I don't know who I am in God, I'm going to build up myself because I don't want anyone else to tell me what to do. Let the Word of God tell you who you are. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're the apple of His eye. I mean, think about it. God has all these beautiful terms He uses to describe the way He wants to relate with us. And when you know that, you can be secure. You know, a lot of times pride comes from who you are in Christ. You can become arrogant because you don't know who you are. So when people say something to you, you, you come back at them. 
because you don't know who you are in Christ. And the Word of God says that we need to love God with passion, and then we need to come and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So when you look at this, this passage of Scripture that talks to us about how God hates all these things, one of the things that we come to deal with is we come to deal with the issue of how do we address pride from a biblical point of view? So what, what is it all about? You know, one of the things that Scripture tells us in the book of Philippians, it's interesting, in Philippians, uh, it's, it's a really cool passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 2. It's a theological passage. It's, let me put my professor hat on for a minute. It's a really deep theological uh, teaching of who Jesus looked at himself as and how we should live our life. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, if I have any encouragement from being united with Christ... Okay, if you have any encouragement of being connected with Jesus, this is what it says. If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another. Now, is this talking about only those that are married? No. It's talking about those of us that are in relationship with others. So look around. See all these folks sitting here? You know, it's really easy on a Sunday morning to act like Christ. You know, what about Thursday afternoon when everything is hitting a fan? Yeah. You know, what happens when something bad happens or someone treats you wrong? Oh, well, let's forget Philippians. I don't really even know where it's at in the Bible. So let's not, you know. <laughs> no. Look what it says. He says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ. And then in verse 6, he said, this is, this is the mindset Christ had, who being the very, in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So Jesus, even though he was God, didn't use his, his, his position with God to his own advantage. But look at verse 7. This is a powerful verse. But rather, he made himself nothing. Nada, zilch, nahin, whatever word you want to use for it. Actually, the, the word that he uses to describe himself is found in the latter part of the, or the middle part of that verse. He says, and the very nature of a servant. He took on the very nature of a servant. The word that is used there in the original language is the word that's translated throughout Scripture to be a slave. Now, what is a slave? A slave is a person that is in bondage to something else. So Jesus was in bondage to obedience to the Father in such a way that he says, whatever the Father asks me to do, I'm going to do. That's, that's the attitude we should have. And he says, in this, he says, being made in human likeness. Think about it. God was made in human likeness so he could identify with us, but also that we could identify with him. And then he says this. I love it at the end. He says, and being found in the appearance as a man... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the cross, even to death. God became obedient in such a way that he went to the cross 
so that we as people would not walk around living a prideful, arrogant life, so that we could learn to be like Jesus. You know, I, 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 I will never forget a conversation I had when I was living in India. And I was talking to a, a gentleman that was, was not a, a Christian. And he said to me, he says, you know, I don't have a problem with Jesus, but I have a problem with his followers. I thought, ooh. And I said, elaborate that. He says, well, you know, Jesus had all this compassion and grace and love towards people. But a lot of times his followers don't. They're arrogant. They're rude. They're mean. They're not loving at all. And I thought, wow, that's, that's, that's truth doesn't matter where it came from. That's truth. And as, as a pastor, I want to challenge you as believers to have the love of Christ saturate you. You know, this last week on Christmas Day, my wife and I went up. We took a couple days. We went up to Bodega Bay. and We got a, how big was that place? 250, 300 square feet little bungalow. It was like you couldn't get around the bed, and it was tiny. It was called a surf shack. It was a little bit bigger than a shack. So we went down by the water because it was raining every day and it was pouring down rain and the waves were 25, 30 feet tall. And we decided to go walking along the beach one day and, and uh, I am, I'm one of those treasure hunters. Uh, I like to find little things at the beach like rocks that have tumbled in the... So I walk and, and we're walking down the beach and I look and there's this really cool looking rock. And so I'm like, oh, and I run down and grab it and just as I look up, the wave's coming in. I mean, soaked up to the waist. I mean, it was just like, just, and, and Lynn's back there laughing because it's like stupid me. I should know better, you know. And so, you know, I'm, I'm soaked. So what happens when you're, you're drenched in something? You, you don't mind getting wet again, right? So we're walking down the beach, and I said, babes, come on, let's walk on the other side of the stream. She's, no, I don't want to get wet. I'm like, hey, jump on my back. I'm soaked already. You see, when you're saturated with the love of God, you don't mind being, having more saturation. But what happens when you're not saturated? You don't want to get wet. And God's asking you to get saturated in His presence and not be afraid of being saturated in the presence of the Lord. Because when you're saturated in the presence of the Lord, you're going to drip the love of God over everyone you come in contact with. You know, and there's something that's interesting is people don't mind being loved on. You know that? People don't mind being cared for. People don't mind Jesus' love flowing out of you into their lives. a matter of fact, it's very healthy for them, and it's healthy for you. And the big thing is this, that a lot of times as believers, Lord, why can't I have more love for people? Because you're keeping it to yourself. And God wants you to flow. God didn't create a pond of his love. He created a river of his love to flow through you so you could love other people. And one of the things that God wants to do is God wants to just push you into that relationship of loving Him so much that it changes the way you look at other people. You know, as believers, we should never look at anyone. I don't care if they're from a different religion. I don't care if they're an atheist. I don't care what they are. You should never look at a person without love in your eyes. And when you do that, it changes your relationship with them, and it changes their relationship with you, and hopefully their relationship with the Lord. You know, it's not even in my sermon. That was good, though. That was good. That was good. I've been listening to my wife lately, you know. So what does he say in Philippians 2.4? Not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. You see, that is a really countercultural value 
that Christianity has over the things of the world. You're always in the, in, when you're outside of the Lord, people are always looking at their own advantage. Oh, have I got a deal for you? You're walking out of Costco. Hi, friend, how you doing? All you want to do is sell me, sell me, uh, sell me seller. There you go. That's a Sally sells seashells down by the seashore kind of thing. You know, they're not your earlier friend. You know, or you go to the little kiosk and they're giving you the little thing, samples at Costco. You know why they're giving it? Because they want you to buy something that they're giving you for free. It's the law of reciprocity. They give you something, you feel obligated to buy something. It's not there because they really like you. They're there for a job to get you to do something. But I tell you, as people of faith, we should be people that have un. Bite, un, uh, unabided love towards people that we just give people love whenever they need it. Yes, that's right. You know, one of the things that's interesting, I ran into the, the, the cashier at the Walmart when we bought those gift cards for the, our, our, our branch campus in Santa Clara. Do you guys, all guys know we have a branch campus in Santa Clara? You guys, did, we, you guys didn't know that? Wow, where have you been? Yeah, Santa Clara County Jails, Pod 7C. That's our branch campus. You know? And so we, we had bought gift cards for all of the prisoners on the pod, and we bought, like, f- yeah, for their families. We sent them for Christmas. So I was in Walmart the other day, and I was checking out, and the cashier that was helping me, because I didn't realize that you can't buy more than $1,000 worth of gift cards on a person can't buy it unless they have pre-approval with the company they're buying them from since 9-11 because of the anti-terrorism laws. So I'm, your pastor's now on the anti-terrorism watch list. Uh, so we were trying to buy like $3,700 worth of gift cards, you know, we couldn't buy them. And so she was helping me. We were there for about an hour and a half, and I'm standing in Walmart buying something, and she goes, hey, how are you? And I'm like, turning like, hey, what you doing, girl? She goes, I was telling my family what your church did, and they were shocked that a church would do that for people in prison. You know what that is? That's a love of Christ in action. Because when I was talking to her and she was telling me the situation of her family, she had some family members that had been incarcerated. She had a current family member that was incarcerated in a different jail. And she says, man, I wish you'd go to this jail. Let me say something to some of you that are sitting on the pew wanting to preach and wanting to tell the message of Jesus. Why don't you get involved with our prison ministry? You know, we, we could, we, there's seven floors of pods and we have one group that comes. And our desire is to have two or three or four or five or six. And I tell you, the other pods were very jealous when they heard that all of the family members got gift cards and got presents and stuff. You know, that's the, the, I tell you that, that's a tangible way of expressing the love of Christ. Right. Come on. You know? Come on. Somebody say amen. Amen. So how do we get our relationship with Christ into where it needs to be about breaking off our pride? We have to realize that first and foremost, it's of our flesh. And Christ died to set you free from your flesh. You know, worship team, come on up. We're going to have communion this morning. You know, I thought it was interesting because one of the things that, that Paul, I love, the, I love the teachings of the Apostle Paul. He's just, I, I really identify with him. But he was someone that came from a real arrogant, condescending lifestyle. You know, he was the, the, the pride of his, his class. He was the top scholar in his class. 
He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the, the, the pride uh, student of Gamaliel. He was like going to be probably one of the next rabbis of, the, of the, uh, uh, the, the community of faith. People looked up to him. He was given special privilege by the Sanhedrin to go and persecute Christians because of his fra- fr- uh, veracity towards the things of, of faith. And then he has this experience with Christ. And he gets knocked off his steed, and he encounters the very God that he was trying to persecute. And Jesus says to him, think how trippy this would be. You have this vendetta to get someone, right? And you get knocked off your, your, your moped, you're laying on the road, and you say, God, who are you? And he says, I am the one you persecute. Oy vey. <laughs> What's happening to me now, right? And, and as he, he's laying there, God empowers him to be a sharer of the truth of who Jesus is. So here's a guy that knew arrogance and pride, but he died to himself when he gave his life to Christ, and Christ re-empowered him. Then he wrote the book of Romans, and look what he says in the book of Romans in chapter 3, verse 16, uh, excuse me, verse 19 through verse 26. It's a long section, but I, wanna, I want you to listen to what he says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. So the Old Testament was written to show us that we would never reach God's values and God's approval by fulfilling these laws, right? So that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world will be held accountable. You know, every one of us is going to meet God, whether we meet Him to meet Him on a positive note or a negative note is up to us. God wants it to be positive. How do I know that? Because I know the plans the Lord has for you, not plans to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. That's God's plans for humanity. Whether we embrace that or not, it's our choice. But then he says in verse 20, therefore, no one will be declared righteous uh, in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. So even though the law was there, It basically showed us we weren't worthy to be disciples of Christ. But now we know because of his righteousness that he's given to us that we're in right relationship. He says, to which the the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So having faith in Christ and believing him brings us in to clothe us with Christ's righteousness. And then he says this. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile. Look around. There's no difference between the chosen of God and those that are engrafted in. And he says, for all have sinned. That's you, me. That's your favorite televangelist or favorite preacher you like to watch on TV. It's a person that you think is excellent, the Pope. You know, everyone, every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we all are all justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. So even though we are guilty of sin, we have been restored because of His grace. You know, sign language, I love the sign language for grace. You take your hand, an open hand like this, you grab something from heaven, turn it around, and throw it down on you. Isn't that amazing? Grace. Something from heaven taken and pour it out upon you. Do you deserve it? No. But because of his great love, God so loved the world 
that he pours his grace upon us. And then God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. To be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at this present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. What Jesus did when he died on the cross for us was put us back in the right relationship with God. And as believers, when we're living a life enmeshed in knowledge and understanding and maturing in faith, that should affect everything that we do. That's why when we read Mark chapter 12, verse 31, where it says, love your neighbor as yourself, it's because you've learned that Christ loved you when you weren't worthy of it. And he poured out his grace upon you when you didn't deserve it. So you could do the same thing to other people that don't deserve it. You could be the only Christ that they see because they never come to church, they never read the Bible, but you could be the Jesus that they see if you're demonstrating his love for people. So on the first Sunday of the year and the first Sunday of our Daniel fast, I want us to celebrate communion together because communion is a remembrance of what Jesus did for us on the cross. The way we celebrate it here at the church is we have these little... They're all self-contained. These are post-COVID communion. But they're a wafer on the bottom and a cup of juice on the top. So if the ushers want to come forward, we'll get ready to serve. Everyone's willing to have it. But what we do, we'll pass them all out and we'll take them together. And what I want to do is I want us to look and see if there's any areas in our life that there's areas that we have some pride. There's areas that we have some areas that you know, this isn't me telling you something's wrong with you. This is the Lord saying, hey, you got to check this in your own spirit because this isn't right. It's not about the person you came with. It's not about the person in front of you or the person behind you. It's about you. It's an internal inspection to say, Lord, is anything in my life not the way it should be according to your word? Not according to what people tell me, but what does your word say? That's why in the, in the book of Corinthians, it tells, tells us before we take communion, we should examine ourselves so we don't take communion in a manner that's unworthy. So as the elements are being passed out, I want you just to search your heart. Ask the Lord if there's anything in your heart that you need to get right with him. And then before we take the elements, we'll pray together, okay?
Scripture tells us that when Jesus had gathered in the upper room with his disciples, he had the Passover in the Jewish culture, but he transformed the Passover from being uh, a time of looking forward to the coming of the Messiah to the proclamation that he was the Messiah. And he, he said to the people that before you take, you should examine your heart because none of us want to take what the Lord's done and defile it. And communion is a, a time where Jesus gathered with his disciples. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I did for you so that you can then do it to others. So Lord, right now we just ask if there's anything in our hearts that are displeasing to you. That right now, Lord, we ask for forgiveness. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that none of us are perfect, but all of us can be forgiven. And I pray that we would press in to know you better. And as we start off this new year, Lord, may it be a year, 2024, be a year where we do great things for you because of the great things you've done for us. So, Lord, we thank you and we confess our sins to you. We ask you to be faithful to forgive us and cleanse us. And help us to walk in a way that's pleasing to you in all the days of our life. In Christ's name, amen. If you peel the bottom off your cup, there's a little wafer. Let's hold it and let's pray. Lord, we bless this wafer. We bless it to the, our bodies as we take the Lord's Supper. Lord, may we live and breathe and be Jesus to people that don't know you. I pray that, Father, we would not be people that are so self-absorbed that we don't see others the way you see them. Help us, Lord, to love people the way you love them with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we ask this in Christ's name. Shall we partake? You take your cup and Peel back the top. I love the element in the Lord's Supper of the blood because it represents everything Christ did for us that when we weren't worthy of it. That his blood was shed to cleanse us and heal us and restore us. So Lord, we just bless this cup. Bless it to our bodies as your servants. May we live our life in a way that's pleasing to you, Father. In Christ's name, amen. Shall we partake? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Worship team is going to lead us in prayer, but before they do, I just want to share one prayer in a song, and then Pastor Lynn will come lead us in prayer, but before I do, I want to leave you one thing. I printed out a list in Scripture. There are over 100 occurrences in the New Testament where Scripture talks about one another. And I'll put these out in the foyer. You can grab them on the way out. I'll put them on both sides of the tables here. But this would be a really good study for you to look at how we should treat one another in Scripture. And uh, this whole portion up here is the positive side, and there's some things negative down here. So take this and use it as a study. Get into God's word and learn how you should treat one another. Because when you treat people the way Christ desires, you're going to know there's going to be more and more blessing flowing through your life. 
Amen. Why don't we stand? We'll close in a singing a song of worship, and then uh, Pastor Lynn will dis dismiss us. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. You're hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you
14 says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Aren't you glad you're captive to him now? Empowered by him now? With his love? With the ability to bring his aroma wherever he's going to take you this week. We have prayer team available for you if you're in need of prayer for special needs. So please do that. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you desire to dwell in us. And in doing so, we have everything now that you have because you dwell in us. Lord, we thank you, Father, for your presence with us today as we've gathered together. And Lord, I pray for us as we have made commitment and covenant today that there are areas in our lives that you're going to enlarge our territory inside of us first. And then as we go out, you will have that expression through us to the world. Lord, we thank you, Father. And now bless each one as they go in your name. Amen. God bless you. Those of you that are going to the, the, the um, Holy Spirit retreat, I'll see you on Thursday night at the retreat center. God bless you.